0: okay hello everybody and welcome back to the applied human design podcast sorry i decided to turn my air conditioner off um as always i'm your host heather and i'm so so happy that you are here spending a little bit of time with me today uh in this wonderful little space so uh we're just gonna do it so basically i tried to record a full big episode earlier today uh, but for reasons that I will disclose in a second or two, um, it did not work and halfway through I fell asleep and then <laughs> I listened back and I was like, what is this nonsense? So I would really, really wanted to talk about the Barbie movie and um, just sort of my personal reflections on that movie and how I think that it really, really beautifully and almost to a wild degree really spoke to a lot of the themes that i've spoken about in the last couple of episodes like the last few episodes talking about the venus retrograde themes um aphrodite's shadow the collective shadow of the feminine um and all of that except you know obviously that is a topic that i want to be able to give my full energy and my full brain power to and today this week is just not that day um so instead i'm just gonna be doing like a travel with me like just i want to talk about my trip, the last couple of like, um, I guess like, uh, spiritual or like energetic, magical places that I've been to over the last couple of weeks. And yeah, maybe we'll just talk about that a bit more in general. Um, but first of all, uh, like I sort of hinted, um, (laughs) hinted like it's something exciting. Um, first of all, I just want to give a little bit of a health update. Um, so I haven't really shared this with anyone I've shared this with a couple of clients um, and I've shared this with people who 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 had enrolled in the evolutionary astrology training who I had to refund um, basically this year so if you've been around from the start um, you know back in 2020 you will know that I have history of chronic pain and chronic illness and it's <laughs> well I mean I don't know it's like Not that it had completely disappeared, but it had faded into the background so, so deeply uh, for the last few years. Um, I did like a lot of deep healing. I did a lot of cleanses and stuff in 2020 and was able to really get to a point where my symptoms were pretty much gone. Um, You know, every now and then I'd have a flare up of pain, uh, but nothing, nothing like it was. And so this year, specifically since Saturn has entered my 12th house, (laughs) um, yeah, the timing is almost like wild on on this stuff. My symptoms have slowly been coming back, um, not in any kind of bad way. And like I've spoken about before, um, I really thought that it was a travel burnout like, after I'd finished a pretty intensive, like, five, six months of travel, uh, and I landed in Albania and just just had to rest for, like, a month straight, two months straight, um, I was like, okay, maybe this is just travel burnout. Uh, but after another couple of really intensive travel weeks, yeah, my, <laughs> my friend and I, we, I don't think when we planned this trip, we realized just how much we were squeezing into two weeks together. Um, and then also like, obviously I haven't seen her since October. So we were also just chatting all the time, like up all night discussing everything. So I haven't really rested in two weeks too. It's just been like, go, go, go. You know, that being said, we did take our chill afternoons and that, but, um, it really made me realize. So I just got like increasingly exhausted to the point that we were in an art museum on Maybe like, well, where were we? We were in Bruges or maybe we are in Brussels. So we're getting towards the end of our trip. I think we must have been in Bruges um, in Belgium. And I just nearly fell over right where I was standing um, and nearly threw up right where I was standing. Uh, because my body just gave up. <laughs> was just so physically exhausted. I had just like pushed it too much. And, you know, I'm not exactly sure what is going on. Um, so... Anyway, this is all to say that I I think if this had come up even a year ago, maybe I would have pushed my body or pushed through this. Maybe I'm just at the point where I'm so exhausted I physically can't do that. But also, I really do want to practice what I preach. So obviously something that I teach a lot and that I work with a lot of clients with and that I just tell you guys about all the time is... If we're in a position where we can not only or even like not even be focused on dismantling capitalism from an external perspective, but also it like dismantling it from within our own nervous systems, right? Again, this is something that I've spoken about for a couple of years. Um, then this is really, really powerful work. And so while Obviously, like the way that the system in the world is set up is not to favor people who are sick, people who are unwell, people who are basically anything except for completely capable and can do the same output every single day, week in, week out, 52 weeks of the year. So basically no one. Um, <clears throat> I am fortunately in a position where I can I guess, really take this opportunity. You know, there are no problems, only opportunities, and that's how we're trying to <laughs> look at this. Uh, take this opportunity to really put this into practice for myself. And so I don't know exactly how that looks, but I have got some feelings on, on how that looks. Number one will obviously be stepping back. Well, okay, no, number one is is taking a break from travel. Uh, because this is and it was really really good I think so my best friend um, has never really traveled before and at least not in the way that I do and I think a lot of people can sort of have this idea like if you haven't traveled much before that it's a permanent vacation um and I don't want to be like oh my god poor me or whatever but it is exhausting it does take a lot of energy to be continuously arriving in new places where you need to learn the customs you need to learn um some of the language enough to get you by like you know if you want to be respectful in that you need to figure out how things work you need to figure out how the public system transport system works you need to figure out how long you can stay all of that there's just like It's not your everyday life. It just takes a certain amount of energy, right? Um, And so, yeah, my friend Vicky, she's like, oh my God, I get it now when you say you're exhausted from this. I'm like, yeah, you get it. It is. It's deeply, deeply exhausting. Um, And so I'm going to, well, okay. So I had been planning to go home in October uh, to slowly start because honestly, the thought of flying, the 24 hours it would take me to get to Australia oh god it has it eats at me like originally I'd planned to stay in Europe for the winter um but then when I started getting sicker and sicker I was like oh no I'll go home in October like take a rest but then Vicky is a nurse and she checked out a couple of symptoms um that are like particularly bad so basically I have a inflamed lymph node on the left side of my neck and it's been there for a long time and I don't want you guys to stress right like this is nothing to worry about where we're going to heal like there's you know I'm not saying this to worry you or anything like that um I'm just saying this to update you on well a like why I will be working much less and probably creating much less content or just like exercising my work and my purpose in a different way um why you'll probably see me eating much more green smoothies than croissants for a while um and all of that stuff anyway so Vicky took a look at the lymph node and she was like I think you need to get that checked out sooner rather than later um and personally I already have a lot of hesitation around doctors. So I would prefer to go to my family doctor. Um, <clears throat> so yeah. Uh, and also just have like my Australian Medicare <laughs> card and not be paying like thousands and thousands out of pocket for healthcare. Uh, because I am lucky enough to live in a country that has universal healthcare more or less. Um, okay. So I actually ended up basically putting my entire life savings into booking a last minute flight home um, for about two weeks from now. So I'll be flying home about two weeks from now. Oh God, wish me luck. I have booked with a really good airline, so hopefully it will not be too bad. Um, But yeah, the fact that I get exhausted at the moment on a two hour flight does not leave me a lot of hope for me successfully navigating a 24 hour flight. But I really, really need to be home. Um, So that is happening. So I'm taking like, number one step is I'm taking a step back from my travels. Number two step is obviously I'm going to be uh, taking a step back from my work, from my business and just, um, I guess, lessening my own work and just, yeah, doing it in a different way. So like I said, um, I'm not gonna be, I physically, am not gonna be able to run evolutionary astrology at the same time as human design. I like, obviously, again, this was, and this is where that like putting myself and my body and my health before that kind of capitalist need is a a choice i that is available to me right now obviously the choice to give up quite a good chunk of income um is not available to everyone so i am so so incredibly grateful that is that this is a possibility to me um that you know i have a place i can live so you know if you've been following for a while my parents last year bought a beach house it's about 3 hours east of melbourne um so i'm going to be living there for you know the next few months and just healing and they have like a lot of uh just alternative healthcare services and stuff down there too um so yeah the fact that that's even an option to me um but it has meant that i've also had to you know have my own internal battle with like okay i'm not going to be earning even anything close to a regular income over the next few months can I find peace with that can I be okay with that and know that this is way more important like my body my health like there's not going to be a heather a brain a working brain to do what I need to do and create what I need to do if I don't take this step back now while I have the opportunity um okay so Yeah, there's that. Um, So, yeah, I'll probably be like back and forth a teeny tiny bit between uh, the city um, to like see friends and, you know, all of that. But then mostly staying in our family's beach house um, to just have some peace, some solitude, some salt air uh, and all the other incredible things that are so important for healing. Um, So they're the two major things. So. What we'll still be running is Applied Human Design. Um, if you're enrolled in that, nothing is changing. We will still have our weekly classes. Um, and, you know, I'll give you guys plenty of notice if if we do need to push one of the classes out a week, but hopefully not, um, you know, I, I hope I'll be able to uh, continue to to meet these responsibilities. Um, and, you know, this is just all part of my integrity. Like, I do not want to be giving half-hearted energy to anything I create. That is not something I want to be as part of my legacy, right? Um, and so rather than, you know, show up to a bunch of different things with half my energy, I want to do like very few things right now with the full energy that I have available to it. So applied human design is still running. It's closed now, but you can get on the waitlist for the next round. Um, and the relentless alignment membership is still open. Uh, it's like I like I've said in previous episodes. It's already packed full with so many resources. And then I'm going to be we we are doing monthly workshops. Uh, You can like keep an eye on my Instagram this week. because I'm going to announce the next workshop, but I'm 99% sure it's going to be about working with deity. Um, Most people or a lot of people or like who is inside the membership already. Like the requests that I've gotten is that they really want like kind of practical witchcraft advice, magical advice, like how to actually take the information and apply it. And one of those things was, you know, forming a relationship with deity. Obviously I've spoken a lot about, my relationship and my work with Aphrodite and how to do that in a really respectful deep and long-term kind of way um so that's likely going to be the next workshop happening in August um what else am I doing uh and then I haven't I have a few Akashic Records readings that I still need to get done that were booked like before I went away um and I haven't exactly decided I want to get home and sit with it and see how much energy i have available um to do these but there's kind of at the moment there's about two to three available per week that you can book so if you do want an akashic records reading with me they are there they are available um, but probably book book sooner rather than later uh just because obviously that that availability is going down so much because i'm prioritizing myself so that the people that i do read for get the best version of me not a burnt out exhausted version of me because that is no fun or not helpful for anyone. So that is the little health update. Um, yeah, I, chronic illness is really, really difficult. It can be really, really frustrating. And unless you've actually, like as much as like other people can, um, empathize and all of that, like, unless it's something that you've actually been through yourself or that you've experienced yourself, it's difficult. It's difficult to understand what it's like. Um, and the fact that there are still people who work in the medical profession who don't believe that chronic fatigue is real uh yeah okay I nearly fell over in traffic today (laughs) so anyway explain that um but yeah so I appreciate in advance all of your understanding all of your healing vibes all of that and to everyone who's already said that and sent that um I really appreciate that. Um, and, you know, just on that, unless I specifically ask for advice, then don't, you know, and this should this should really go without saying that even though creators are people who who often like share their journeys and that I am probably going to share as much as I feel like sharing of my own health journey, it's not an invitation to send me uninvited advice or anything like that anything beyond uh you know rest lots drink lots of water (laughs) you know those pretty standard things um unless I actually ask you so thank you so much um if you do if you do have advice just you know send me a message be like hey you know I I have something that really really worked for me would you be open like are you in a space to hear it um but yeah anyway again this should go without saying like don't like even though it can feel like you are a part of people on the internet's lives just just yeah just remember (laughs) um we we already like especially people who do have chronic health conditions we already have a thousand different people telling us what will work uh we've already experimented with a thousand different things that didn't work so just yes anyway Again, lots of love. Thank you all for understanding so much. So let's talk about my trip. Um, The good parts, the parts that weren't (laughs) really painful and exhausting. Um, Yeah, firstly, we went to... So you guys know that a big part of this trip was that I have wanted to go to um, the Avebury Stone Circles for so, so long. I obviously... So I have a huge... A huge personal spiritual connection to Avalon and the Arthurian legends and a lot of that resides around like the uh, what is it like southwestern England um even into Wales and stuff like that I would love to eventually go back and just do like a full Arthurian tour like go to um yeah well we were meant to go to Glastonbury it didn't end up working out so do you know what I just think like it was it was just a sign that it will happen when it's supposed to. However, we did do the most incredible day out where we went to Stonehenge. So we got to Stonehenge right on open. Um, so we were able to see the stones before the crowds, <laughs> the crowds descended essentially. And basically, so I was with my friend. So we took our pictures, we did that. And then, um, you know, I just said like, I'm just gonna take a moment like, and just be by myself and connect to the energy and all of that. and. It truly is like, it really is wild. Like, so if you haven't been and you think like, oh, maybe it's just like overstated or people are making up whatever. And uh, this is a religious monument. This is essentially like a temple, like an outdoor temple a nature temple that's been there for thousands and thousands of thousands of years. There is so much reverence. There is so much ritual. There is so much energy imbued and embedded into these stones. And even though now you can't get right up close and personal with the stones, like, so they have barricades to, to protect the stones and to stop people from going up and touching them every day, except the summer solstice. I want to say on the summer solstice, uh, they take away the barricades and, um, they let like, I guess, practicing um, druids and that go in and actually do their ritual with the stones. But typically, like, you know, every other day of the year you have the barricades. And so you're probably, how far? I I don't even know. Like, a certain amount of meters (laughs) um, disconnected or, like, away from the stones. Still, I felt that energy, like, reverberating. Like, as soon as I just stood by myself and, like, tuned in to the earth and the frequency of the earth around, it it like shot through my body. Like it was like deeply, deeply, deeply activating. Um, it wasn't restful. It wasn't grounding. Like it was activating. Like it was like, I was feeling this energy moving through my system. And so all of these, all of these like locations is really, really fascinating to me. Um, so in England, there are various like stone temples, stone circles all throughout like the British Isles. Um, and As you guys know, I went to Malta earlier this year and it was really, really fascinating to me that there were definitely similarities both in the display, but also the energetics of the stone temples, like the thousands of year old stone temples in Malta um, and the thousands of year old stone temples in England. Basically, they don't know the people, the religion, the beliefs of those who created the stones. They don't know, both for Malta and for England. Um, It's interesting because, like, archaeologists sort of think, or will say, like, oh, you know, well, based on that time period, especially with the Maltese ones, um, or the the ones in Malta, based on that time period, it must have been, like, um, Hunter Gareth hunter-gatherers or like very very early farming folk but I don't know it's also like especially the very very early farming folk they were busy (laughs) like they were busy like taking care of their farms right do we really feel like they just put down and their farming stuff and devoted a good portion of their time to creating building and then tending and like doing ritual in these huge temples right it's really really fascinating the way that there are these similarities between the two like essentially islands right and i don't know the answer to this uh there are some rumors some whispers that the people who like escaped atlantis uh when atlantis fell first moved to malta um, and so, therefore, these these temples that are all set up, pretty much all set up to, um, like, observe the skies. Uh, yeah, so, when they first, like, left Atlantis, like, they first moved to Malta, and this was, like, their first little escape. Um, so, that is one potential option. Now, what is that? Okay, so, no, they did also find, archaeologists have also found... The greatest or the, like, most convincing evidence of a potential sunk, sunk city, like, lost city of Atlantis, is off the west coast of Spain. So, I need to look at a map. Maybe I should have done that before I hit record. Lol. Uh, map. Google. But I'm pretty sure um, that is kind of in between the two. So, maybe, maybe... All right, and again, I'm just spitballing. I don't know anything. I'm not an archaeologist. I'm a hobbyist historian who believes in aliens. Although you know what, aliens were just told to be real. So what do you know? Okay, so we have yes off the um, and you can like Google this. There are like there are people or archaeologists. Claiming that they've found the lost city of Atlantis all the time. But this is the most convincing in terms of the actual area. uh, Based on the historical recounts that we have of this potential Atlantis. um, And then also how it's been described. Like what the city of Atlantis is described to look like. uh, Is off the, um, yeah, the real like southwest coast of Spain. Um, I believe I want to say it was off the coast of the Parque National de Donana. I'm reading that straight off the Google map. Um, so if I'm pronouncing that right, I'm so sorry to Spanish people. Um, okay, so let's have a look. So Malta. No, okay, maybe it doesn't make sense because Malta is down here. Well, I mean, I guess it could like if they if Atlantis was to if Atlantis was destroyed and they were like, okay, you guys go up, right, to England, the British Isles, and then the other half will go, uh, what is that direction? East, west, east, east. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, we love when I buffer in real time. Um, and so some landed on Malta, some landed on England, like, but you know, also everyone was moving around for the past, like, 10,000 years as well. So, who knows but that is that is one of the theories essentially that these temples were a well either these survivors of atlantis or just basically a lost religion like a lost belief system that we haven't we haven't had like enough archaeological evidence about to to really form and understand what their beliefs were and all of that stuff right so um yeah, either way, <laughs> it's so, so deeply interesting, um, and what was I going to say, there was something else I was going to say about that, I don't know, but either way, Stonehenge, wow, um, and so then we also got to go to, uh, in the same day, we went to the a Stone Circles, um, so that was our next stop, and a is quite different to Stonehenge, uh, because this one, um, it's not as popular of a tourist attraction, I can't remember which one's older. I don't know if they've dated the two and found one to be older. I'm not exactly sure, but this one, it is both really fascinating to see, but also really sad to see because an entire town and a street has been built through this ancient sacred site. Uh, This UNESCO World Heritage Site has a town plonked in the middle of it, right? And so the energy of the circle itself has been destroyed. It's been cut off. You can't so it is said, um, well, some people believe that this particular stone circle is a portal to the um, the other world, right? Whether we think of that as Avalon in the Arthurian legends, or maybe the fairy other world, or, you know, whatever the other world means to different, like, religions or beliefs or cultures that have moved through this time. Um, except, yes, it has been. It's been desecrated uh, with, yeah, if you literally just like pull into the town, it's like you can drive straight through like, cause this one is quite a huge stone circle and there are two, there's like a smaller inner circle and then a bigger, wider circle. And then there are a couple of other like little straggler stones as well. And you're like, hmm, interesting, uh, but you can actually work, walk the circumference of this stone circle, which is really, really interesting. And again, you can get so close. You can touch these stones And I would just like, I was just um, putting my hand on it and feeling the energy. And again, it was so deeply activating. It really was just like, you know, that feeling in your body where you're just like knocked backwards by the amount of energy coming out at you. And this would be, you know, there's, there's a reason why I, well, several reasons why I believe these particular ones really, really hit me, but that's because this is my ancestral land, right? Um my uh, my family is very 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 english very english not um you know the the old the old traditional english as well um anyway so yeah it was really really powerful i really loved it the whole the whole town is a portal but you it really does make you wonder what what it was like before there was a road running through it, before there was a town built into the middle, before it was turned into what it is now. Fortunately, it hasn't been like completely destroyed and desecrated, right? Like, yes, it is unactivated, but at least like the stones haven't been knocked down or anything like that. At least they have done that to preserve it, which is more that we can say for a lot of the other um, like really, really ancient sites that are throughout the, the British Isles, right? And elsewhere in Europe too. Okay, so that was incredible. Um, Did I get transported to the other world? Well, who knows, you know? Like, I guess we'll never really know if we're living in a (laughs) alternate dimension or not. And yeah, the rest of the day was just like one thing after the other of things I'm fascinated by. We went to a... Oh, well, actually, this was really fun. We went to a what was it I I can't remember what the town is called but we went to a town in the Cotswolds where they filmed a lot of scenes, scenes for Harry Potter um and got to see the house or like Harry's parents house um so got to pretend to be Voldemort and you know waving his wand and killing Harry's parents you know, just just British things. Um, so that was really cool. We also went to it was was it in the same town? It was either in the same town or another town also in the Cotswolds, where we went to this old, old church where they had a mausoleum for a knight. So this is also a strong connection between or like a really strong connection between Malta and England is that um is it the Knights Templar? I <laughs> anyway, it's the, the Order of the Knights that existed in Malta and, like, built up a lot of the Maltese capital city, Valletta, um, also, obviously, like, moved throughout the entire European region um, and a lot landed in England. And, yeah, one of these knights founded this specific church that we went to and there's just a big, uh, like, monument to him. And you also got to learn, it like through seeing this, you got to learn about how they, so basically it's like a, um, not, it's not exactly a statue, that's the thing. It's like, it was, I feel like it was like carved out of wood or something, but it was like an image of him like lying in his eternal resting space for the last thousand years. Like this was an old, old night. Um, I believe like the year 1100 comes to mind, but um, it was sometime in that era anyway. Anyway, how the knight is... Yeah. So, in these muslims to, like, I guess people, like, or knights that they viewed as important or, like, worthy of having their own statue, monument, not exactly... Like, it was like a um grave marker, but it was an image of the person. And how they displayed it was... Uh, you could you could interpret, or they've learned that you can interpret how that person died, how many battles they fought, um, in this situation, how many of the crusades they went on, and all of that. Uh, yeah, I again, all of this stuff. Like, I feel like most of my life and most of my travels is devoted to trying to figure out history, like what happened, because obviously the history we're taught in school is told from one specific perspective and it's to- taught about one specific part of the world. And when you start looking back, even if you just start looking back at the history of one little fragment of land, one tiny little island, whether that is England or whether that is Malta, you can see that uh, it's like there have been various takeovers. There have been various bids for power. There have been various wars and both sides thought they were doing the right thing. Like one thing that we learned about was, and again, like we, like coming from Australia, we didn't learn much of like British war. I'm so sure this is something you guys got taught in British schools, but we learned about Badesha like the killer queen. Um, so she was a queen of, in England. Um, so she was like the, one of the native English people around the time of, the Roman empire, like when the Roman empire was coming in and trying to take over, um, you know, take rulership of the country, uh, and around about the same time you had the, um, what are they called? Like, well, they would have called them the, the Vikings and whatever coming from the north and like certain other parts of, of Europe coming in as well. Uh, and so, Bidetia, she was like being like a sweet little innocent woman queen that um, the Romans didn't think anything of. She was like, you know what? We're going to come and mess you guys up. Uh, so she went in, she, she traveled down to London from about mid England, I want to say. um, And she killed thousands of people. Right. And it's like, okay, if you tell that, perspe- if you tell that story from the perspective of the Romans, this was an evil woman. This was savagery. Like this was, A slaughter, right? And you know it was again if you view it from that perspective. But if you view it from the perspective who had had their home invaded, who had had their um their like religion, their points of view desecrated, um that had that were essentially being like threatened with a complete takeover, right? It was self-defense or it was defending their country. Um, it was defending their people because like you know the romans were also uh enacting atrocities upon the the lands on which they conquered as well right um and that's just one tiny little fragment of history right then if you look at it from the point of view that okay like stonehenge and these other stone circles give us history and give us example of people being civilized enough people like having community enough to build places of regular worship thousands and thousands of years ago what was going on then at what like which group of people created Stonehenge at what point was it abandoned at what point did it start being used again by the Celtic people right so this was um this was another really interesting thing about Stonehenge and like all of these stone circles is that a lot of people and maybe a lot of um literature or, or whatever will will say, or maybe people will just think that it was Celtic religions who created the stone circles. But these stone circles predate Celtic people even coming to the British Isles from like mainland Europe by multiple thousands of years. So it's quite likely that it's not. Um, so again, it's all just a mystery, right? It is all just a mystery. So that was incredible. And then I just want to talk about one other really incredible I guess synchronicity. So one of the reasons that I wanted to go to Glastonbury is that, um okay, oh wow, there's so much backstory. But basically in the Arthurian legends, um, the Arthurian legends and specifically the Knights of the Round Table are really intertwined with the Holy Grail, obviously. And the Holy Grail, one of the um one of the I get I think the most convincing argument, the most convincing evidence for what is the holy grail is that it is the bloodline of jesus and mary magdalene right so blasphemy and coming um that jesus and mary were actually married like not his mother mary obviously mary magdalene um who's been vilified by a lot of the church right not not every denomination um has has vilified mary magdalene but a lot of them right who needed to get women out of the the power of the church anyway so the holy grail being that they were married they had children and these children became well the the continuation or the continued bloodline of the christed one right um the like son of god uh as well as this woman who and again this is I don't believe this is 100% proven um but it is said that Mary Magdalene was a priestess of the order of Isis. Um so these are two really really powerful bloodlines coming together to create the Holy Grail. And so part of the purpose of the knights um both the knights of the round table and then also like other like groups of knights throughout history, right? was to protect the Holy Grail, uh, to seek the Holy Grail. And that was symbolic of the bloodline, therefore the continued, like the the children of the children of the children, essentially, right? And so it is believed this bloodline is still in existence today. Uh, there are, you know, the great-great-grandchildren great, great of, of this bloodline. Um, <clears throat> anyway, where was I going with this? Okay, so, um, that is one part of it. Now, uh, that wasn't even, yeah, anyway, so this is where, like, the the Arthurian legends is deeply embedded into also Christianity and the Christian faith, but especially the, I guess, like, the, the true teachings of Jesus, right? It's like Jesus wasn't, it's like the teachings of Christianity uh, and Catholicism and all of that. Are really powerful spiritual teachings they just were in the wrong hands that have been shared by the wrong hands so there's that um anyway uh so you have this deep tie and so one of these reasons um you also have so oh my god there are just so many different fragments to this story but hopefully it all makes sense but anyway so glastonbury the place where i wanted to go that is connected to That is also said to be like part of the portal to um, the Celtic Otherworld or uh, Avalon um, in the Arthurian legends. And again, we don't know this for sure. There are also two springs. There's a white spring and a red spring. And so Joseph of Aramae. I'm not going to pronounce it right. Uh, One of the dudes who was there at the crucifixion, (laughs) called Joseph, is said to have collected the blood and the sweat from Christ upon his crucifixion, upon his death, and traveled with it up through Europe, right, as long as well as, like, along with a lot of the followers of of Jesus who were being, like, also at at deep risk of being crucified in the land where they were in jerusalem right like in israel where they were traveled up through europe and so joseph is said to have uh landed in glastonbury and that this white spring and red spring are relatively like the the sweat so he kind of like put down the sweat of Jesus and the white spring came up and then he put down the blood of Jesus and the red spring came up so these are really really sacred sites um whether you believe this or you just view them as their own like sacred site either way they are said to have a lot of energy have a lot of healing energy so this was one of the reasons that I really really wanted to go to uh Glastonbury but again didn't get there this time But um, basically, because just we were in too much of a rush and the weather was too bad and we couldn't get there. Um, But then my friend Vicky had said she watched a movie uh, just before she left home called, well, probably like a few months ago, called In Bruges. And Bruges is a like medieval, one of the best, if not the best, well preserved medieval cities in all of Europe. It is stunning. Like if you have never heard of it, which I hadn't until Vicky told me about it, you have to go. Like especially if you live in Europe, there's literally no excuse. Go immediately. It's the most stunning city I've ever seen in my life. Um it survived. I love this story. So it survived two, I guess like German takeovers both in um World War 1 and World War 2. And I believe it was in World War 2, uh one of the like military dudes I don't know their official terms, so I will just refer to them as dudes, uh, actually disobeyed orders by his master to destroy, to, to bomb, to, you know, wreak havoc on the city of Bruges because he said it was too pretty. Like, what kind of strange, incredible protection magic is this city under? that so much of the rest of Europe was destroyed or like alt forever altered by the wars but this place has been it's not like Pompeii which was you know preserved but covered and not used for thousands of years this is literally a city that's been continuously um lived in worked in visited without like you know uh, when when did it come into existence I think it started like as a Viking meeting place in the year 800 right and then it became more of like a city city around 1000 1100 like around that time um so like nearly a thousand years right and it's still inhabited and gorgeous and just wow beautiful anyway so we get to bruges and we don't really have a plan for what we want to do we know we just want to like soak in the history soak in the vibes um it has a really famous bell belfry that you can climb Anyway, so we're Googling like things to do in Bruges and my friend's like, oh, this sounds like something that could be a bit of you. Like there's something called the Basilica of the Holy Blood. Like obviously she knows I'm a quadruple Scorpio. Anything with the word blood, uh, sign me up. Um, And I was like, the Holy Blood, like what? What is this? So immediately I Google it and this is also a place or a city where that same joseph is said to have stopped on his journey through europe and asked like given and asked this city to essentially preserve hold on to some of jesus's blood and now you know what whether this is true or not i like, okay, so I was like, oh my God, how do we do this? How do we see this? Obviously, we need to see this, this church. So we went to this Basilica of the Holy Blood. And if you go at a specific time of day, so I believe it was like 11 a.m. and 2 p.m., uh, they bring out the blood and you can just like, you know, you, if you want, you can give a donation to the church to uphold um, and like keep it pretty and all of that. Uh, but you don't have to, right? It's not like some money grabbing thing at all and you essentially just like walk past and they have the the like vial it's like in this ancient uh, like glass vial thing um and you get to see it you can't touch it obviously but i'm telling you that's the thing whether this was real like quote unquote real really jesus's blood or not it knocked me backwards it was an even more intense feeling than the stones had given me Like. It's going to sound so wild if you've never experienced anything like this, but I was just walk, like, you kind of, like, walk up onto the stairs, you come to this little platform, and the woman, like, I guess someone who works there, like, part of the clergy, Clergy? whatever, she holds it out. Um, And I could only stay there. Like, you can barely look at it. I was just completely knocked backwards. It was like an actual force hit me in the chest and moved backwards, like, Again, whether it was real or not, like if you think about it, this particular vial has been revered and honored and like had so much energy and gratefulness and whatever infused into it for hundreds of years. And so obviously the energy in there is going to be really, really, really strong. But anyway, so it was really fascinating. Um, I've never heard of this. I have never heard of this, and yeah, a lot of people when I shared this on Instagram that we did this were like, oh my god, I've never heard of that either. Like the holy blood, like whatever. Uh, that's wild. So again, I don't know if it's real, but does it does it really matter if it makes you feel something? If it makes people feel something? Um, I mean I could do like it's really fascinating for me because I didn't grow up at all Christian, at all Catholic. I didn't grow up with really any religion. Um, I would say that my family, well, okay. So on my dad's side, they are quite, I want to say Christian, <laughs> L- Lutheran. Oh my goodness. I, I'm so bad at knowing the exact, uh, like whatever, the, the type. Um, they're definitely not Catholic anyway. I know that much. But that didn't really translate into how my parents raised us. And then on my mom's side, I would say the closest thing to religion would be like, um, is it, uh, so it's polytheism, which is when there's many, many gods, but there's also a word that means that God is in everything. Maybe it's any atheism. Let me check. Let me Google. All right. The word that's coming up is pantheism. So maybe that's right. Maybe it, it's not, but this is essentially like the belief that God is in everything, right? That God is in nature, that God is in everyone, that God is in my chocolate bar. Um, And that's obviously the belief that I've brought into my own personal practice that I have connected to more and more um, as I've gotten older. But yeah, so I wasn't raised in Christianity. It's something that I've discovered like these... And I think because I was raised somewhat, like, what's the word? Like, agnostic or whatever? There's always this, like, oh, so you believe in Jesus and things like that. And then my own discovery to discovering that Jesus is more than likely a real person, right? That, like, again, to people who were raised in the Christian or Catholic faith, like, that might be, like, yeah, obviously. But to me, I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, okay, this was a real person. This was a real man who, like this really happened to <laughs> you know that this kind of horrible horrible torture um really really happens to that was hung that was crucified for just wanting to share that we are all love and then the way that obviously those teachings um those really really pure teachings whether and like you know i don't necessarily believe it was coming from one specific man but that jesus was taught by a part of a greater like religious sect or like group of people who practice and believe certain things, who wanted to share this love with the world. And then, you know, it had both the Romans and probably the Jews and, and whoever else like Adam, like hmm, this is kind of going against uh, what we believe. So we're just going to kill him. Um, Yeah, it's been Again, really, really fascinating to explore this for myself later in life and to do it, you know, from a place of of not coming at it with like, oh, all religion is bad, but kind of viewing it as all beliefs and all belief systems obviously started because someone thought that there was truth in it and anything that anyone believed there was truth in, there's something worth tracking and tracing down right there um anyway again i'm just a history nerd so i'm fascinated in this from all cultures and the origins of all belief systems and to get to see something that has been so deeply deeply venerated and has been a place of uh worship and pilgrimage for centuries was yeah it's difficult to describe how how grateful i am for All the places I've got to go. All the places that I've got to see firsthand. Um, But yeah, anyway, so that is everything for today. I hope that I can now go to bed, which I'm going to. Actually, I should probably pack things up first because I'm moving to a new Airbnb tomorrow. But So I'm going to pack, go to bed. Um, But sending you all my love. And yeah, I'm sure we'll talk very soon.